Book One, Chapter Three, Section Two of Tasker Jevons: The Real Story by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Book One, My Book, Chapter Three, Section Two. I found her in her room at the pension. It was at the back, on the ground floor, and had long windows opening into a little high-walled garden the room i remember was rather dingy and stuffed up with furniture large flemish pieces bureaus chests and cabinets stood against the walls there was a bed behind the door she had put her travelling rug over it and there was a washstand in an alcove with a curtain hung across it and some of her coats and gowns hung behind another curtain in a corner and some were on hooks on the door and her little trunk was on the floor by the foot of the bed and her shoes stood by the stove somehow when i saw these things especially the shoes my heart melted inside me with a tenderness that was infinitely more painful than the rather austere disapproval of her which i had relied on for support i was prepared as i said for a cowed and frightened viola or for viola in a mood at least in keeping with a poignant and somewhat humbling pathos of her surroundings but not for the viola i found the garcon of the pension closed the door of this room in my face as he went in with my card to inquire whether she would receive me i thought if she refuses i shall have to insist and that will be unpleasant but she didn't refuse on the other side of the door i heard a subdued but curiously reassuring cry she had been sitting outside the open window her chair was on the flagged path of the garden as i came in she had risen and was standing in the window with the intense blue darkness of the garden behind her and the light of the room on her face she was smiling in a serene and candid joy for one second i imagined that she had not read the name on the card and that she thought i was jevons and then i must have looked away quite steadily so as not to see her shock of recognition for her voice recalled me wally how ripping however did you get here i don't know what i said i probably didn't say anything the sheer surprise of it so staggered me that i must have muttered or grunted or choked instead but i know i took her hand and did my best to smile back at her with the stiff mouth she noticed later she went on i am glad to see you have you had any dinner i said i had then she said let's sit in the garden i took her hat off a chair and stuck it on a bust on the bureau viola laughed i set the chair on the flagged path of the garden have you had coffee she said then i had so have i but i haven't had it in the garden we'll have some more i rang for coffee we sat down and faced each other she was smiling again as if the delight of seeing me fairly bubbled out of her one thing struck me then that at this rate it would be easy enough to ignore jevons in fact if jevons hadn't given viola away just now i should have thought that she was travelling in belgium on her own account and that his being here in the same town with her was a coincidence an accident i could have got over withers and his story then she said have you come across mr jevons yet he's here i answered with what i knew to be a very stiff mouth we're staying in the same hotel you might have brought him along with you she said i said i didn't want to bring him along with me she raised her eyebrows in delicate reproof of my rudeness and said why not 
" Because," I said, " I want to talk to you." " Oh." I don't think I imagined the faint embarrassment in her tone. But it was very faint. " And," I went on, " I don't want to talk about Jevons." She looked at me then steadily. The look held me, then defied me to pass beyond a certain limit. I understood now the terms of our encounter. As long as I met her on the ground of a friendship that recognized and included Jevons, she was glad to treat with me. But any attitude that repudiated Jevons or merely ignored him was a hostile attitude that she was prepared to resent. " What has he done ?" she said. " I don't know what he's done." I paused. " Why drag in Jevons ?" "Because," she said, "it's his last night. He's going to morrow." I said, " And it's my first night. And as it happens, he isn't going to morrow. He's arranged to stay here another fortnight." Her face softened. " Then it's all right," she said. I had to dash her down from that ground, and I did it at once. I said, " I saw your brother the other day." I could see her face darken then with a flush of pain. We were sitting close to the window, and the light from the room inside showed me all the changes of her face. She asked, " What day ?" Let me see. Uh, this is Friday. It must have been Monday. I came over that night as soon as I'd seen him. What did you go and see him for? I didn't go. He came to see me. She looked at me again, if possible, more steadily than before, but without defiance. It was as if she were measuring the extent of my loyalty before she committed herself again to speech. Why did he come? she asked presently. He wanted to know if I knew where you were. You didn't know, she said. I didn't, or I wouldn't have lost three days in looking for you. But I made a good shot, anyhow, when I came to Bruges. Even in her anguish, for she was in anguish, she smiled at the wonder of my shot. What made you think of Bruges? I don't know. I couldn't tell her what had made me think of it. I couldn't tell her that I had tracked her down through Jevons. I was going to keep him out of it if she would only let me. But she wouldn't. I suppose, she meditated gently, he must have told you. I answered quite sternly this time to impress on her the propriety of keeping Jevons out of it. He didn't tell me anything. Then, she was still puzzled, what made you come? You. Me? Your brother, if you like. He should have come himself. That, I said, is what I'm trying to prevent. He doesn't know you're here. I want to get you back to England before he does know. Besides, he's sailing for India next week. Then she broke down. That's to say, she lowered her flag. Her head sank to her breast. Her eyes stared at the stone path. Their lids reddened and swelled with the springing of tears that would not fall. Didn't you know, I said. Oh, I suppose I must have known once. Up till this moment, she had not said one word. She had not made one sign that had really given her away. And nothing could have given her away more completely than the thing she had said now. She had confessed to a passion so dominating and so blind as to be unaware of anything but itself. It was not so much that it had swept before it all the codes and traditions she had been brought up in. Codes and traditions might well have been nothing to Viola. It had struck at her strongest affection in her memory. She adored her brother. He was sailing for India next week. She must have known it, and she had forgotten it. Her confession was not made to me. She had forgotten my existence utterly. It was made to herself, the old self, that had adored Reggie. 
that at this evocation of him arose and sat in judgment on the strange perverted monstrous self that could forget him i've called it a confession but it wasn't a confession it was a cry a muttering rather of secret agonized discovery he wants to see you before he goes i said her eyelids spilled their tears at that but only those they had gathered no more came her self-control was admirable it's all right i said you've heaps of time i'm going to take you to ostend in the morning you'll be in canterbury tomorrow night is that what you came for yes it was awfully nice of you there was nothing else i said to do you're coming with me to canterbury she stated it no my dear child i said i am not you don't want them to think you went to bruges with me this was by implication a reference to jevons it was as near as i had let myself get to him she said what are you going to do then i'm going to put you on the boat at ostend and then i'm coming back here it must have been at this point that the garcon brought the coffee it must have been at this point that the garcon brought the coffee for i remember our sitting out there and drinking it amicably until the aroma of it gave viola an idea what time shall we have to start to-morrow i said first thing in the morning then she said it does seem a pity not to send for jimmy i could see now that there was some deadly purpose in her persistence but this time i couldn't bear it and i lost my temper i said send for him send for him if you can't live ten minutes without him i was sorry even at the time i have been ashamed since for so far from resenting my abominable rudeness as under any conclusion she had a perfect right to she merely said i'm only thinking that if i've got to go so soon to-morrow it'll be horribly lonely for him over there he doesn't expect to see you we arranged all that she pondered it still with that curious absence of resentment it was as if recognizing the danger of the situation she submitted to any steps however disagreeable that were necessary for her safety it was clear that she trusted me less clear that she trusted jevons one thing remained mysterious to her what are you coming back here for she asked i let her have it straight to look after jevons what do you suppose he'd do he might get into england before your brother got out of it she smiled what do you suppose then reggie'd do i said i knew what i'd do if i were reggie she smiled again i see you're saving him from reggie i'm not thinking of him i can assure you at that she said dear wally so you think you're saving me i'm trying to i said as far as your people are concerned you don't want them to know you've been here if you'll only leave it to me they won't know i'm not going to lie about it i shall tell them if they ask me not reggie i said yes reggie if he asks me reggie's the very last person i should think of lying to it was this attitude of hers that first shook me in my conclusions for i'm afraid i'd come to certain very definite conclusions why i asked her hadn't she told them before she came because she said there's no use worrying them they'd have tried to stop me you can't imagine what an awful fuss they'd have made i dare say i might never have got off at all what i couldn't understand was her attitude i mean i couldn't reconcile the secrecy she had practised with her amazing frankness now her manner was supremely assured it wasn't mind you the brazen assurance of a woman who has been found out and flings up the game 
it was a curiously tranquil and patient candour with something mysterious about it as if she had knowledge that i couldn't have and bore with me through all my ignorance and blundering in fact from beginning to end except for the one moment when i upset her by telling her about reggie's sailing she showed an extraordinary tranquillity but as i couldn't understand her i simply said i wish you hadn't got off she said in that same quiet way i had to because i said he made you since she had dragged jevons in she should have him in i wasn't going to keep him out now to spare her i had a right to know the truth she had shaken my conclusions she had left me in a doubt more unbearable than any certainty and i considered that i had a right to know i was determined to know now and end it that shows that i must have trusted her that i knew she wouldn't lie to me but she said with the least perceptible surprise he didn't make me he told me he did he told you what did he say exactly he said if you must know that he hadn't brought you but that he had made you come he didn't he didn't really but supposing he had what then you want me to tell you what i think of it yes i think it was a beastly thing to make you do he couldn't have done it you know he couldn't have done it if he hadn't been a bit of a blackguard i was going to say as well as a bounder but i didn't want to rub that in i judged that when the poor child came to her senses her cup would be full enough without my pouring but you see she said still peaceably he didn't do it he only said he did that was his niceness he wanted to save me my dear child if it's saving you to bring you out here without your people knowing anything about it and to let you be seen with him everywhere he didn't bring me he said he wished i could come with him and i said i wished i could i almost asked him to take me and he said he couldn't then he went off by himself he was all right till he got to bruges then he wrote and said that the beauty of it hurt him that it was awful being here without me and that he was coming back at the end of the week without seeing any more of it because he couldn't bear to know what i was missing he was going to keep the other places till we could see them together so i wired to say i was coming and i came what did you do it for viola wally i asked myself that as soon as i got into the train and it wasn't till i was half across the channel that i knew why she stopped and stared as if at the wonder of herself explained i did it to burn my boats i suppose i stared at that for she expounded to make it impossible to go back i said my dear child that was very reckless of you she said she wanted to be reckless i asked her if it didn't occur to her that some day she might want her boats she said no it was just her boats that she was afraid of she didn't really want them she didn't want really to go back then she looked at me and said you know jimmy wants to marry me and then did you know i said i was not in jevons's confidence but i had guessed as much i said do you want to marry him she said yes i want to marry him more than anything i don't want to marry anybody else i never shall marry anybody else most of me wants to marry jimmy but there's a little bit of me that doesn't it's mean and snobbish and dreadful and it's afraid to marry him and you see if i were to go to my people and say i'm not going to marry mr furnival i'm going to marry mr jevons and i were to show jimmy to them they'd all get up and side with that horrid and shameful little bit of me reggie would too it wouldn't be in the least horrid or snobbish of them you know because they wouldn't know what jimmy's really like 
they're just very fastidious and correct but it's simply awful of me because i do know it isn't awful it simply means that he isn't your sort you're fastidious and correct you can't marry him and you know it you won't be able to bear it he'll make you shudder all down your spine all that doesn't prevent my caring for him i care for him more than for anything on earth even reggie that's why i've burned my boats so that i may have what i care for without their tearing me to pieces over it so far was i from understanding her that it struck me that what she was telling me was as ugly a thing as could be told in words that she was confessing that being too weak to stand up against her family she had deliberately compromised herself with jevons so that she might marry him without their opposition just as i was sure that jevons had compromised her so that he could marry her without opposition from herself but what you are saying is horrible i said i don't believe you know how horrible it is so far was she from understanding me that she answered yes it is horrible but it was only a little bit of me and it's all over burned away wally i burned it when i burned my boats don't think of me as if i were really like that you see we had been talking about different things my mind had been fastened on an external incident ugly in itself ugly in its apparent purpose ugly in its consequences ugly every way you looked at it hers had been concentrated on the event that had happened in her soul an event to her altogether beautiful the destruction of the cowardice that would have brought her back that shrank from taking the risk that her soul dared this she seemed to say is how i deal with cowardice that she had compromised herself by dealing with it in this way had simply never occurred to her it couldn't she didn't know and wouldn't have believed it possible that people did these things what had frightened her she said was jimmy's saying that about keeping the other places till they could see them together he meant you see till they were married it brought it so home to her and it brought home to her what it meant to him because he couldn't afford to marry yet for ages if she'd gone back she said it would have been so cruel to him and it would have been so cruel to herself too then she told me what they had done together heavens how she must have trusted him she joined him here in bruges and they'd gone to antwerp then to ghent then back to bruges i had followed close on their traces a day behind them at each city and it had all been so beautiful she simply couldn't tell me how beautiful it had been it was as if she had never seen anything properly before jimmy had made her see things i can understand she said what he meant when he said that the beauty of this place hurt him it hurts me i reminded her that jimmy had said it hurt him because she wasn't there she looked up and smiled he isn't here now fernie i took her to ostend first thing in the morning and saw her on to the boat i advised her to remove the foreign labels from her trunk at dover and to contrive so that she shouldn't be seen arriving by the up platform at canterbury oh she said you have to take some risk we were on the gangway saying good-bye and from the boat's gunwale she flung me buoyantly if i'm caught i'll say it was you i went off with they won't mind that half so much i went back to bruges the same day and found jevons disconsolate where i had left him in his hotel i took him to brussels in the hope of finding withers there and confusing him in his ideas we didn't find him he had gone on into germany carrying with him his impression of viola and jevons staying together at bruges in the same hotel it was at bruges that i said to jevons by the way 
miss thesiger says you didn't make her come she proposed coming herself he flushed furiously and denied it of course i made her come it wasn't likely she'd propose a thing like that his chivalry was up in arms to defend her but i could see also that his vanity wasn't going to relinquish the manly role of having made her come to him well well i suppose in a sense he had made her end of book one chapter three recording by expatriate in bangor maine